This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger, episode 76. Quote, The greatest privilege of a human life is to become a midwife to the awakening of the soul in another person. Plato. Plato? This midwifery stuff's been around that long? Maybe, just maybe, they're doing something right? You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. For anyone that's new to the show, I'm Jason Hertzberger. I'm the host of the show. I am a small business owner in the Baltimore area, as well as a lifestyle design coach, where the point of small moves and the podcast and the business is to help people find the small steps that help to add up to big progress over time that can be applied to any area of life. And today's topic that we're going to be talking about is midwifery and my experience, as well as my wife's experience working with a midwifery wife not once but twice for both of our children and we're going to be interviewing Jamie Hatcher who is a certified nurse midwife that practices out of Pasadena California right now but when we came across each other she was actually the midwife that delivered our second daughter Ada to us back in May of 2017. She was a delight to work with and she's a very good spokesperson for people that I know in the midwifery practice. She's great at articulating its benefits and I think I feel that this is a conversation really worth having and a message really worth getting out Uh, we get into the weeds a little bit with regards to sort of the details of midwifery versus working with other industry professionals within the birthing world and Jamie does a really good job comparing and contrasting those it was a good conversation and if you're not at all familiar I highly recommend you listening to this one that said without further ado I bring you Jamie Hatcher, Certified Nurse Midwife. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, Small Steps for Big Progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, Jamie. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi. Hi. The um, the audience had a little bit of a snapshot about your background and how you sort of came into my and Carrie's life uh, a little over a year ago. But mm-hmm. obviously, you've got a somewhat of a more broad snapshot of you know your life and you know what you do more so than we have. So why don't you just kind of give the audience a little bit of a snapshot about your background? Who is Jamie Hatcher? Where are you from? What do you do? All that wonderful stuff. Okay, I'll try to make it succinct um, and we can expand more if we want. But I'm originally from Montana. That's where I was born and raised. And um, through a roundabout way, I ended up in Maryland where I went to nursing school and did my midwifery studies to become a certified nurse midwife. And I worked as a midwife out in Maryland for about three years and recently moved to California to work at a birth center in South Pasadena. Um, so I'm currently working as a nurse midwife out there. Gotcha. Now you, obviously you, you, uh, the audience heard in the, heard in the intro that you obviously delivered our second daughter, Ada. Mm-hmm. So that, that was sort of how you sort of fell, fell into our lives. But the, the, mm-hmm. the, the, did you become when when did you kind of come across this concept of midwifery? Like, what was that something? By the way, what it, that's that is the proper term, right? And that that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, midwifery. Okay. Midwifery. Okay, yeah. The what what's the what's sort of the background of that in your world? Like, how did you come across midwifery? Was that something that you stumbled on as a concentration while you were in nursing school, or are you looking to just initially be a nurse? As if that's not enough. But um, <laughs> you know, is that is that a specialty? that you were able to kind of pick from a list while you were in there or is that something that you had exposure from prior to yeah i'm honestly not entirely sure where i first heard about it probably from a book i've always been interested in children in birth and babies um growing up in montana i didn't know any midwives i didn't know that 
there were midwives in this country. I didn't know if it was a reasonable, um, like a feasible occupation. Um, some, so after I graduated from, um, college in Montana, I joined the Peace Corps and I worked as a health education volunteer in Madagascar. And I worked with um, a local health clinic and essentially a midwife. Um, so the majority of the healthcare providers out in developing countries are midwives. Um, it, it definitely looks like a different um, occupation out there than it does here. But um, so that was kind of why is that? Like, what, what are the what are the differences? But out, outside of the fact that it's basically sort of conducted in a hospital, generally speaking, in in this mm-hmm. neck of, in this neck of the woods, like what what else is it that sort of separates midwifery there versus here? Uh, I would say probably to some degree the level of education. It's a lot less um, education. There's less technology. The kind of monitoring and prenatal care that people receive is very different, um, and the the nurse, the midwife is a little bit more comprehensive, probably a little bit more like a nurse practitioner in some ways. Just this is someone in the healthcare field, so people show up with problems, basically just addressing a broader scope of needs. And that's here. That's here versus abroad. That's, like addressing more a, bro- a broader a broader thing more so here than abroad, right? No, I would say that abroad. Um, I think just by necessity, not necessarily by education. Got it. So a midwife out in the middle of nowhere in Madagascar Mm -hmm. is someone who has a little bit of health education, health training. So people are going to come to her with concerns, whether it's related to pregnancy or not. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, no, it it definitely does. (laughs) Like when when there's, if there, if there isn't a doctor in the village or whatever it might be, it's like, well, that's kind of where the midwife yeah. steps in to fill in, fill in the gap. Yeah. Now, so I guess that was really my like first exposure to midwives. Um, and, but I, I didn't come home from the Peace Corps knowing that I wanted to be a, a midwife. I, um, I came home from the Peace Corps feeling a little bit lost and not sure what I was doing with my life. Um, and moved out to DC, um, looking for work in international health. I really enjoyed the health work that I did in the Peace Corps. More specifically, the one-on-one interactions with women. I did a lot of family planning education while I was out there, and I wanted to continue doing that kind of like one-on-one education-based um, work. And now, what, had, you, uh, had you already decided on nursing at the time, and you just no. weren't sure about the midwife thing, or did nursing come no. later as well? Yeah, nursing came later. So I moved out to D.C. thinking that I was going to get a job in international health and development. Got it. Okay. Um, And kind of figured out, you know, living in D.C. and getting a little more involved in the world of international development, realized I wasn't going to be able to do the kind of work I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. International development is really, you know, program management type of roles versus the one-on-one in the field kind of position that I was looking for. And through talking with different people, I kind of decided nursing sounded like the direction I wanted to go, kind of more of that hands-on care model. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that I chose to go to Johns Hopkins was they have a fellowship for returned Peace Corps volunteers And they also have a volunteer doula program. So nursing students can take as an elective this course where they get doula training and then provide their services to community members free of charge. So this was something I was interested in doing while I was there. So when I started the doula training course, we watched a movie called The Business of Being Born, which is kind of a cult classic in midwifery. And I, that was kind of the moment it all just clicked for me that, oh, yeah, I want to be a midwife. That is that just makes sense. Sure. Now, the 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 doula role. Can mm-hmm. you can you explain that role a little bit like that? That's something that whenever we talk about this 
uh, when, whenever you talk about the birthing process, that that is a word that pops up in conversation that no one ever really knows what the hell it actually is. Mm-hmm. It's like what what is this per- like what is this person? What is this service? Like what what is like we we obviously didn't take advantage of that in either case. So I was somewhat vague on it myself. Mm-hmm. Ca- Carrie was Carrie was a little bit more fluent in the language, but I've I run into so many people that just don't even know what the heck it is. Like they know it's a word mm-hmm. that gets thrown around. But the, mm-hmm. but what what exactly is a doula as compared to a midwife? Actually, if you want to ex- yeah. expand on that, yeah, actually, that a lot of people there's kind of interchangeably misunderstanding about the different roles. So the I guess the easiest way to describe what a midwife is, looking at it from in the medical, you know, midwifery is a medical profession essentially. Mm-hmm. Midwives are the we're kind of on the same playing field as nurse practitioners we are nurse practitioners for pregnancy and birth got it okay Um, so you know we have kind of a basic level of medical education nowhere near as comprehensive as a physician obviously sure so that so midwives are medical professionals and have received a certain amount of training in managing normal pregnancy and childbirth and identifying complications that go beyond normal and require more, um, either more monitoring or higher level of care. The difference then between a midwife and a doula, a doula is someone who has received training in helping women cope with labor. So doula's role really is specific to labor for the most part. And kind of like a glorified labor coach um, or a personal trainer for labor. It's someone really who's going to be there by your side helping you get through the process of labor, coping with the different stages of labor, trying different. So this is someone who has a lot of different techniques for helping manage pain and also a lot of knowledge about the labor process to help kind of normalize the situation and know, you know, what's going on. Doulas don't have any medical background unless it's separate. The role of a doula is purely non-medical. Okay. So, so for, they can, I don't, I don't want to say that they're not basically allowed to touch the, touch the, the birthing mother at the time they can, but with, I'm guessing their, their role is more, more geared towards therapy in between, I guess, in between contractions per se. Like, is that sort of where the medical professionals would, would step in or like what, where, how are those roles balanced? I guess is a, is a better question. Um, so they, you know, if depending on the providers, I, ideally they're complementary. So the doula is with the laboring woman by her side, you know, sometimes, providing counter pressure, pressure on the sacrum during a contraction, providing cold washcloths, warm compresses, massage, all of those different things, um, even just verbal coaching, words of encouragement throughout the process. The medical professional then, the midwife or the doctor, is there to monitor the labor, to monitor the baby, make sure the mother and the baby are stable, and deliver the baby. So it's anything medical related, the doula should not be doing. Like, the doula is not going to check your cervix or catch your baby. Got it. Now, just kind of based on that description, (laughs) um, if there is a spouse in the room, Mm-hmm. Is is there it for lack of a better term? Is is there ever any kind of friction there? Like just based on your experiences, like is that is that a role that tends to be welcomed by say like a husband that's in the room, or does that send, is that just sort of I I, I always I always find that interesting because my, mm-hmm. you know di- different guy go- different guys like different friends of mine kind of go through the birthing process of their kids with their wives in different ways like some mm-hmm. of, some of them are heavily involved and engaged like me some of them are some they're they're in the room but they're you know over there in the corner because that's where the wife wants them mm-hmm. um you know so I, I it's it's interesting where like I with me being one that wants to be more engaged in the process, 
I would find it probably really annoying if there was another person trying to step in and do that stuff. Like, is that something mm-hmm. that you that you run into? And how how is how how is that balance for people that are sort of in that role? Mm-hmm. Um, so typically, uh, a doula is like a you you make an arrangement to have a doula before you're even in labor, long before, and this is someone you've met with, ideally with your partner, and you all agree. Um, that this is going to be a good arrangement. In my experiences, I've seen what I've seen from people that hired doulas. The doula is just as beneficial for the dad, if not more. Um, A really good doula is going to be aware of that relationship between the the woman and her partner Mm -hmm. and be able to kind of guide the partner on how to help the woman in labor. Oftentimes, dads kind of freeze up, they withdraw, they're scared. Seeing seeing their partner in pain like this in this incredible situation mm-hmm. and not being able to do anything, not knowing, you know, we, we always want to fix things and they yeah. can't fix it. They can't make it go away. Yeah. So they often don't know what to do. Yeah. And especially if, um, you know, if they've tried something and they got snapped at because that wasn't what the woman wanted right then, mm-hmm. I feel like they tend to just withdraw further. Yeah. Um, so what the benefit with the doula there is she can explain to the partner, like, this is what's going on in labor. You know, this is where we are in labor right now. This is what's going on in her head. And here, why don't you try this? Here's how you just screwed up. Try to fix it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not necessarily. It's not necessarily that you screwed up. It's just that it, you know, no one can predict what you're going to want. You might think that you want to be massaged constantly during the process of labor and you go into labor and you don't want anybody to touch you. Yeah. So, or, or talk to you or approach you as as the case may be. Yeah. Yeah. So it's (laughs) different for everyone. And so really, um, you know, what I've seen doulas do kind of in the best circumstances is kind of like a take team effort with, with the partner, um, you know, working together, she finds a technique that, the mom responds to well, she shows the partner how to do it, or she's doing something. She, the partner goes out to get some water or juice for mom. Um, really it's kind of, it should be more of like a synergistic working together relationship. Have you seen, have you seen it go the other way though? I have in a situation with a doula that interfered with the relationship between the woman and her partner but I have seen I have been in situations with doulas that have have their own agenda in mind more so than the woman's agenda Mm. you know I think it so labor and childbirth is unpredictable and women can go oftentimes women who have a doula are they're they want to have a natural childbirth they want to have an unmedicated childbirth you go into it and things change sometimes. Sure. So I've, you know, I've been in a situation with a patient who had been planning to have an unmedicated childbirth. She had a very long early labor and decided to get an epidural and the doula wasn't able to kind of shift her mindset about the change in the process of labor and still, you know, wanted a very hands off almost like wanted it to be like an unmedicated childbirth in some ways. And the the game changed and she was very focused on this unmedicated childbirth and wasn't really providing the support to the mom anymore that she needed and that she should have been given. Was that, was that, was that unwillingness or that, I guess, resistance, was that being channeled at, was it being privately channeled to the midwife or the doctor or was it being openly challenging? Was she effectively openly challenging the mother in that situation? No, um, more, it was, it, it was directed at me as the midwife. Okay. And, yeah. And kind of conversations and, and then the way that it played back to the mother is rather than kind of being supportive and encouraging in that, okay, the process changed. This wasn't what we wanted, but we can still do these things. And let's, you know, she wasn't providing that support and encouragement. Mm -hmm. She was just creating more tension and, 
Um, Cause that's exactly, that's exactly what a pregnant woman needs right at that minute. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of, it's kind of like when good, good doulas really need to, you know, be aware of the situation and roll with the situation. And if we're getting an epidural or if we, um, need to use another medication like Pitocin, then a doula is going to help educate and support the woman through that process rather than either fighting it or kind of making the patient feel guilty that this is happening. Now, um, just really quick in industry, industry lingo for the single, for the single guys and gals in the audience that don't know what that medicine is that you just described. Mm -hmm. What what exactly is that? Pitocin is, um, the synthetic, it's a synthetic oxytocin. Oxytocin is what we call the love hormone. It's, um, and it's the hormone that causes contractions okay. that in labor. So ideally your body's working normally and you go into labor and your, um, your oxytocin levels are adequate enough to contract your uterus in certain circumstances or situations. Um, there's not enough oxytocin. And so you would be, you would get in the hospital, you would get Pitocin to augment those contractions. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, ba- so basically, if if things aren't moving along as either the patient or the doctor or the midwife either want or need or feel the need for, that's mm-hmm. when, that's when that medication would be administered. Mm-hmm. Or okay. if or if a patient's being induced. Okay. Why would why would somebody be short of a potential medical problem? Why would somebody need to be induced? Like, is there is there more than is like it's it, whether it's a, if it's a high risk pregnancy, it can't go on beyond a certain point. Is beyond that? Is there any particular reason why you you frequently see people being induced? Um, I mean, there are plenty of reasons why people are being induced and not necessarily good reasons. I think, you know, if from a medical perspective, the reasons people should be call, induced. This is what they call a leading question, Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Like, I know. Sorry. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, reasons, if there is a medical concern for mom or for baby, that's a reason to be induced. If the pregnancy has gone um, to 42 weeks, that's, it's pretty, I don't, I don't think you can find a hospital that's comfortable letting, or a, a provider that's comfortable letting a pregnancy go beyond 42 weeks just so because of the increased risks of, um, complications for baby. So that's delivery plus two weeks. That's uh due date plus two weeks. Due date, yeah. Yeah. Due yeah. date plus two weeks. Okay. Beyond that, you know, those are reasons that I think it's important to induce people. Um, <laughs> But, you know, and I can't, I can't even talk to all the reasons, but there are plenty of obstetricians who induce women at 40 weeks or 41 weeks um, because they don't believe it's safe to let the pregnancy go past that point. There are women who ask to be induced because they're tired of being pregnant. But in, I mean, in reality, induction should be for a medical complication. Got it. Now the um, sorry, sorry to sort of switch gears a little bit, but re- rewind, <laughs> rewind back to uh, the Peace Corps time. Yeah. The 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 work that you that you had done with midwives there. Tell us, tell me a little bit about the some of those experiences like what was <laughs> what was that like and if you want to broaden it like what the hell was it like to be in madagascar i hear nothing but amazing things about there but the, mm-hmm. you know if you want to look at it through the lens of some of the birth the birthing process that you were involved with that, that would be interesting as well sure so i surprisingly was not so involved in any of the birthing process in madagascar okay um I was paired with a clinic and there was a, a doctor and a midwife there. Um, and for whatever reason, the midwife was not very forthcoming about working with me and just didn't make an effort to let me know when, when there were people in labor and what was kind of generally happening. So I, I worked alongside her a little bit with prenatal care 
and and then I kind of I ended up doing my own thing. Uh, the biggest, the most stark difference is that basically Tuesdays were prenatal care days. So mm-hmm. Tuesday morning between I don't know nine and one, were everyone from the village up to three hours away came into our like we were my, the village I was in was called Sarazaza, and um, like we were like the main village the like the town center if you will mm-hmm. of this greater area so everybody that kind of fell into this area came to the clinic um came to our town to go to the clinic so basically just you know however many people were pregnant in the area would show up there were no appointments um you just they you know they wait in line outside the clinic and come in one by one the they the, they all have a little booklet with them a little notebook that um the midwife would write the data their data in they get their weight we measure the belly we listen to the baby and and off they go so it's very different even from our standards of care here they're they never had their blood blood pressure checked. Um, we didn't. They didn't do any routine lab work. It was all, you know, bare minimum because of lack of resources for the most part. Now, for the the blood for the perspective of resources, I get I get the blood work part because obviously that's that's labs that's you know that that supplies that's labs that's testing material that's shipping the stuff to and fro, you know, but why, why not blood pressure? Cause obviously that, that's a, that's a pretty critical thing with all of pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- there's, there's very few things that I remember about the process of pregnancy other, you know, when, when learning about it early on prior to Carrie getting pregnant, other than always, always, always monitor the blood pressure. Cause that's, kinda, yeah. that's kind of like a canary in the coal mine. So like what, why would they <laughs> checking weight and not checking blood pressure? Like what, what was the, rationale there was it they just literally i'm not sure okay yeah i and honestly i you know i didn't know that much about pregnancy at the time um so i'm not sure whether it's that they didn't have the stethoscope and blood pressure cuff or it Mm -hmm. just wasn't part of the routine prenatal care gotcha okay yeah yeah that's it's interesting. It's this is one of those. It is. Yeah, that that's one of those things that just that that just jumps out at me when you said that. I'm like, wait, hang on a second. It's like that. That's the one thing that I heard. I'm like, eh, that's more important than weight. It's like, or at yeah. least you know, just based on based on what everybody told me early on. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it is. I mean, it's all the weight can be important too, but um, sure. But the blood pressure is um, is important because it can cause some pretty significant complications if it's rising for sure now i mean obviously working with the 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 process of working with a midwife whether it be in a third third world jungle or you know here in the u.s obviously the the process of you know choosing to work with a midwife or a doctor now first of all who makes that choice like is that is that something that your an insurance company makes? Is that is is that something where you're given you're given sort of a menu of options, or is that like let let's focus let's actually focus here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. for now? Like how how does one make the choice to say work with a midwife, or why should somebody work with a midwife versus a doctor, and and maybe maybe flip that oh. coin over too? Like why should why should those are two not? really big questions. Those are two. <laughs> really big and different questions. So how, how someone decides it's really, um, personal decision, um, for perspective in the UK, pretty much uh, the majority of babies are delivered by midwives in the UK. Okay. Um, the number of doctors is small. Um, from my understanding, the, the, main way that you're going to see a doctor in pregnancy is if you have private insurance and you want to, or if you have complications with your pregnancy, midwives are the majority there. Okay. It's just normal and accepted in the United States. Midwives are the minority. Um, there, I, I can't remember, um, 
data, so I can't tell you numbers, but I, I do know um, that the, the number of midwives compared to the number of OBs is small. They're not um, as common. It's increasing because people are realizing more and more the benefit of having a midwife. Um, so really for a woman in the United States, if she becomes pregnant, um, most often she goes to a midwife because she's done some research and decided that that's the kind of care that she wants to have. Um, I touched on this earlier when explaining what a midwife is, but midwives, midwives are trained to take care of normal pregnancy and childbirth. So we see pregnancy and childbirth as normal. And we monitor the pregnancy and the labor process for complications that might come up. But overall, we approach it from this idea that it's normal, that being pregnant is normal, having a baby is normal. It's there are things that our bodies know how to do. Mm-hmm. Um, midwifery also approaches um, care from it's kind of based in the roots of nursing, in that. It's very patient-focused, family-focused care. Um, Traditionally, I would say more often than not, with midwifery care, you're going to have longer appointments, more patient education, um, just kind of getting more time to ask your questions and to really um, being encouraged to understand the process, what's going on, and engage in your care than you would be with an OB. Um, Now that that's why why would somebody why would somebody say not be able to take advantage of the use of a midwife? Um so I think that generally speaking insurance isn't so much of a concern anymore. There in having midwifery care covered by insurance might is still an issue in some places in terms of birth center or home birth, but in a hospital setting, midwifery care is covered. Um, and midwives work in all those settings. They work in hospitals, birth centers for doing out of hospital deliveries and home birth. Um, so it, it's not typically an insurance issue more often than not. It's, um, it's an issue related to the pregnancy. You know, if the pregnancy is higher risk, midwives can take care of women in pregnancy who are low risk. Mm. If complications come up, um, often they need to transfer their care to a physician. And it, it, so it depends midwives who work in hospitals, um, in collaboration with, um, OB practices Mm -hmm. can sometimes continue to care for women who, develop some minor complications in pregnancy because they can collaboratively care for them with the physicians. Um, but if, if it's a solo midwifery practice that is not working, does not have a collaborative relationship with OBs, then any kind of complications that woman has to transfer out of midwifery care. Now, when you when you say complications, that that's that's a medical industry term that scares the ever loving yeah. that scares the ever loving crap out of everybody that's not a doctor or a nurse because mm-hmm. complica- complication means everything from a hangnail to dying. <laughs> so what is like what from so what what exactly what exactly what type of complications are we talking that would that could potentially impact a tra- or trigger a transfer of care like that? Mm-hmm. Um, are we talking like the is like the the mother fall the mother falls she has a bruise her blood pressure spikes but she's fine and but she still needs to be transferred or are we talking you know what? It's like, I don't, yeah. I don't know what, like, what, what yeah. Yeah. So, um, cause, like cause spe- speaking, you know, speaking of having two kids, I've, I have a slight, not, I have slight knowledge in this area, but I also got lucky in that, you know, I have a wife who is a tank who has had absolutely nothing wrong with her throughout the process either time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we never experienced anything that was right. was like the red card in soccer. It's like you know, it was like 
like the with this massive looming complication that means we had to go see this other person about mm-hmm. some mystery thing that we don't understand. I never had that right. experience, but I was, it was like I didn't have that experience yet. I was very scared of it, um, and I'm I'm sure that's kind of the case with some of the people that are listening. So like, what what kind of complications are we talking about? So we when we talked about blood pressure, um, if if your blood pressure is rising in pregnancy, it can be a sign that something is going on, um, some underlying problem. Um, increasing blood pressure can lead to preeclampsia, which is um, kind of one of the major complications that we see where basically – I don't know how much in depth you want me to go into this. But. No, we, we, we can get into the weeds. What, what, what exactly yeah. is that? So it's the interesting thing is that we don't entirely understand things like preeclampsia and why they happen. We know a fair amount about them, but we don't always know what triggers it, what causes it. So the healthiest person on the block can have a, a pregnancy that's complicated by high blood pressure and preeclampsia and there's no indication why um it's some interaction between the pregnancy the placenta genetics um complicated processes but anyway so kind of the basis of what happens with um preeclampsia is the Placenta is not getting good blood flow for some reason, for whatever reason. So signals are sent to the mother's body to increase the blood pressure, to increase the circulation so that more blood flow can get to the placenta. But Mm -hmm. the placenta is still not getting good blood flow because there's something wrong. Mm -hmm. So the blood pressure just keeps getting increased higher and higher. Um, Meanwhile, the the baby is not getting what it needs. The mom's blood pressure is increasing. That puts mom at risk for stroke, um, and seizures. Um, and you can get into all kinds of other complications related to preeclampsia or or different as preeclampsia. Um, but essentially the, the greatest risk to mom is strokes and seizures. And so that's a situation where delivery is where an induction and delivery is indicated. Um, because delivery kind of cures preeclampsia. <laughs> yeah, one would imagine that, but that 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 avenue is only available after a certain period of time, right? That's not available at any at any given time throughout a pregnancy, right? So preeclampsia doesn't develop until after the twentieth week of pregnancy. Really? So any blood pressure problems that existed before the week twenty were pre-existing conditions for mom. Um, Anything that happens after the 20th week is um, pregnancy-related. So you can have pregnancy-induced high blood pressure, um, and then the concern with that is, does it turn into preeclampsia? So if you have increasing blood pressure, then we're going to be wanting to monitor you more and make sure that you know, it's not turning into preeclampsia and most likely the recommendation is to be induced early as well, um, in terms of preventing complications from developing. Got it. Now is, is preeclampsia, is that like the one sort of big one that's sort of the lion's share of the potential complications or are there any, are there any other big ones that are kind of up there on the like is are there five conditions that kind of rear their ugly heads equally throughout the process or is preeclampsia pretty much like the big the the 800 pound gorilla so i'd say probably preeclampsia is like one of the biggest ones is one of the more common ones that we see um other complications if we screen every everyone's screened in pregnancy for gestational diabetes um and gestational diabetes, if you do have gestational diabetes, it can cause some complications of its own. Some some women test positive for it and they're able to manage it with diet and it's not a concern. But if the if it's kind of uncontrolled and you need to be on insulin, um, you need a lot more uh, 
a lot more monitoring and testing and you need to be under an obese care. And then cholestasis of pregnancy happens pretty rarely, but there's the gallbladder stops working like it should. (laughs) And there's a buildup of bile acids in your body and can cause, um, I mean, can ultimately cause stillbirth. So that typically develops at the end of pregnancy anyway. And recommendation there is inducing labor Mm -hmm. again. For the most part with any complication, the goal is um, to not induce before 37 weeks. 37 weeks is 37 to 42 weeks really is considered term term okay. pregnancy. What talk to me like I'm a dummy for a second. If the, if 30, if 37 is com- considered full term, why is the due date set at 40 weeks? Like I've always wondered that they're like, well, once you're, once you're here, it's full term. So really anytime now, I'm like, well, then why the hell isn't it? Just, why? It's like, why don't you just pick the 37th week day? Like, why don't you say it's that day that that's the due date? Like why, why, why do they do that? Is it simply to provide a, <laughs> is it more of a, well, we don't really know what the hell's going on. So let's just sort of pick a month long range or is, you know, how, how is that? Like what, why not pick a, an earlier due date as opposed to saying, well, you're due on the 40th, but you're full term, you know, three weeks earlier. Like, well, if I'm full term three weeks earlier, then why am I not just due then? Right. So I don't actually know the history of how they determined like the 40 weeks. I know it's called Nagel's rule, how you figure out the due date based on the last menstrual period. Um, but I do not know the history of how that came about. I do know it's it's always going to be a range. You can't ever say a specific date because really the only one who decides that it's time to come is the baby. Is the unless, baby. Yep. <laughs> um, so we say 37 weeks because we know by 37 weeks, the lungs are well-developed enough um, that baby's going to do well outside. Yeah. The lungs Younger. Are fun- functional or functionalable, if that's a word, uh, to where with a little bit of tweaking, the, you know, the lungs will be fine. Well, so pretty much after 37 weeks, the lungs are going to be fine. Okay. That baby's going to be fine. Under 37 weeks, there's still possibility that the baby has some trouble with its lungs and with um, breathing and adapting to life. Okay. Um, so if we if a baby's born at 37 weeks, more often than not, it's perfectly fine. Got it. Yeah the 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 due date th- the due date thing is always boggling my mind as well. Like the the how how they pick the date from. Okay, what was the what was it? What was the last day? Was it the last day of your? previous the first day of your last menstrual period the first day of your last menstrual period so maybe that's maybe that's the reasoning for the range because effectively that says you could have gotten pregnant effectively assuming you have a relatively normal cycle of somewhere in the neighborhood of 28 to 30 days like assuming that you know which which isn't always necessarily the case maybe we can actually get into Mm -hmm. that that's that you know that's kind that's kind of fascinating um, you women's bodies. I don't know how the hell you deal with them, but anyway, um, the, 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 just saying is like, okay, what was the day? What was the first day of your last menstrual period? Okay. That was three and a half weeks ago. Okay. So fast forward 40 weeks, poof, that's, the, that's your due date. Well, did we get pregnant? two days after my last menstrual cycle? Do we get pregnant 28 days after that menstrual cycle? Like that there's no, like when did you guys actually get impregnated? It's like, when did it happen during that time frame? So, like they don't ask that question. It's just, when was the last day? Okay. So fast forward there, there, poof, there's your due date. Because, so the reason is we asked the last menstrual period because Typically, the menstrual cycles are around an average of every 28 days, meaning that you typically ovulate around day 14. Mm. So obviously, there's variations, but basically, we're going from you're adding 40 40 weeks, yeah, 40 weeks on to the beginning of 
or from the date of the last menstrual period, basically you're adding on 40 weeks, um, which is not exactly how the calculation goes, but based on that assumption that you probably ovulated about two weeks after your last menstrual period. Um, and we know that human gestation is approximately 40 weeks. Got it. And actually, um, maybe that's where the two-week range comes from. It's like day one, start of ovulation. Okay, fast forward to day fourteen. That's two weeks. So maybe that's where the two to th- you know two to three weeks earlier or later comes. Well, from. and also just that we don't really have control. Yeah, we still don't actually know what causes labor to start. For all the things that we know in our scientific world, we don't know what triggers the start of labor. Is there, well, we, we know, don't, don't we know technically chemically what it is that triggers it, but what triggers the right. release of the chemical is what we don't yeah. know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. From my, like, like what processes and how it all, like, what is it about? Like, is it, is it something released from the placenta? Is there, you know, what point does baby need to be at that the placenta releases this hormone that says, you know, it's it it's one of those mysteries that's mm-hmm. still unsolved. It's like, is it stress? Is it is it stress induced? That, that's that's a big that's a big cliche that you see in a lot. That's a that's a big cliche that you see commonly on television. It's like, you know, the 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 preg- the pregnant wife and the you know the pregnant wife and the spouse are arguing, and then poof, she goes into labor in the middle of an argument. I'm like, mm, I don't know if that's exactly how it works, but you know, I, but maybe it does again but we don't we don't actually have any real idea yeah so interesting. there's it is fascinating very interesting fascinating fascinating um so the so okay for for somebody for somebody that assume assuming for a second that they are physically healthy and the pregnancy is healthy like mm-hmm. why, why and when, like how, what should be someone's decisioning process of going with a midwife versus going with an OB, like a more, more commonly used, or at least here in the U S anyway, more commonly mm-hmm. used, um, OB practice. Like, obviously it's, it's not for like that process is not for everybody just because yeah, just, be, just based on my and Carrie's experiences, like the, the process of working with a midwife I hate to, you know, I hate to say it, but we, we, you know, we, we, we caught a lot of, you know, sort of those witchcraft looks, you know, from friends of ours and from, Mm -hmm. from family members as well. Like, it's like, eh, are you, you know, she's going to be hanging from a tree in the middle of the woods. Like what, what's this, what's this about? Like, obviously you don't, you need to be somewhat more, you know, educated and open-minded about what the process Mm -hmm. really is, but like, how should, how should somebody assuming they're open-minded and don't necessarily think that it's like, well, that's just what they did a couple hundred years ago. And now we do, (laughs) now we do this now, Um, Mm -hmm. which is sadly a perspective that I know a lot of people have assuming that's not their pre pre assumed state. Mm -hmm. Like how should somebody go through that practice? Cause I'm sure like, you know, it's not necessarily for everybody, you know, some, some people need a doctor, but not necessarily for, medical reasons they prefer it for other reasons like wh- how should somebody sort of game that pro- game that decision out? right so i'm biased obviously oh. um i think everybody should have a midwife i think i i really believe that midwives should be the majority of care providers and that ob's should be the minority because there are complications there and you know we need them and i completely respect doctors and their knowledge um, and their ability to manage those complications. But the majority of pregnancy, 95% of pregnancies are low risk and normal. So if you want to, you can approach this from all kinds of different perspectives, but um, it makes sense monetarily. Midwives are cheaper. Midwives are cheaper to employ. We haven't had thousands of years of experience in, um, residency, you know, we haven't had the doctor's level of education. We've, so we're a cheaper commodity, basically. Not that that's, you know, I want to sell myself on being 
cheap, but from it makes more sense, um, especially when you're talking about a normal low risk person. Why why do you need to then employ a really expensive specialist? Um, so, I you know among the misconceptions of midwives that we you know, practice voodoo and, um, you know, incense and dancing around fires and things like that. Um, there's fun as that is. Yeah. There's just, (laughs) there's a misconception about our education. There's a misconception about where we work. You know, I was graduating from graduating with my master's degree in midwifery. And my dad said to me, Oh, okay. So you're going to do home birth. Um, and he was shocked that, you know, I actually probably was going to end up working in a hospital. Yeah. The majority of midwives in the United States actually work in hospitals. Um, and women don't realize that. Women, there's a misconception that if you go with a midwife, you can't have an epidural. Mm. Um, so I think, you know, the, the pain management is a thing that gets people um, because we're not really encouraged or taught to believe that we can have babies in our culture. We are, we're taught that, well, it's just, it's too much pain and you have to get an epidural. Um, you know, and whether or not you want to have an epidural, whether you want to have an unmedicated childbirth, like that is, I think, unrelated to whether or not you want to have a midwife. There are different options for kinds of midwifery care practices Um, but ultimately when, if you are seeing a midwife, you're going to get a better quality of care, a more personalized care. Um, you're going to have time one-on-one with someone who, you know, is paying attention to your concerns and answering your questions. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, comparatively, when I see a patient for a regular return OB visit. Mm -hmm. It's 30 minutes long. Often with a doctor, it's five to 10 minutes long. Um, and you have a much longer wait period and, um, you're not, you don't really have the chance to ask those questions. They're, you know, they're not talking to you about what to expect at this point in pregnancy or what to expect coming up or how to manage the different, um, stages of labor and what to even expect with labor. You know, it's not, it's not a conversation. It's not engaging you in the care. Um, yeah, I hear women say, Oh, you know, I, it's my first, so I'm, I'm anxious. I'm just nervous. And so I'm just going to go with my OB, which kind of, it makes me smile. It's counterintuitive. It's counterintuitive. Yeah. yeah. If, if you actually, and I, I'm, I'm going to kind of toot, to our, to our horn a little bit on that. Um, cause I've been, do, I've been doing my best to kind of ho- hold back a little bit, but mm-hmm. you know, just kind of based on the experiences that we had, like the, the process of midwifery is so misunderstood by mm-hmm. so many of our friends and so many of our family. It's about, it's really about choice. Like it's, it's about choice and customization mm-hmm. and catering, catering to exactly what you want and need assuming assuming you are healthy as if you if you are a high anxiety it's like ladies if you're listening if you if you are a high anxiety person if you go in for a midwife appointment you're in the waiting room for five minutes and then you're in with you're in with your midwife for a half an hour asking Mm -hmm. every stupid and good question that you can possibly imagine. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Somebody who tells me she's anxious. So she's going to her doctor. I'm like, he's going to make you more anxious. Yeah. If you come and see me, I'm going to sit with you and ask you what you're anxious about and talk you through it all so that you understand it. And you're going to walk away feeling better. Yeah. And you, as a, as a midwife, you have the time, because if you're, if you're in an appointment with a midwife, you have time to go over the good Mm -hmm. and the bad as a, as a licensed medical practitioner, you are a certified nurse. You you, you know, you are Mm -hmm. a registered nurse. So you, you by law, you still have to disclose all the potential problems that could happen. But 
if a doctor has five minutes, they're going to spend their time on the bad stuff because that's all they've got time to get out. And by law, they have to disclose that part. But when you've got a half hour with a midwife, you can talk about all of the good, all of the bad, all of the neutral stuff, all of the, this is weird. What's that feeling? What's that noise? He's like, why? It's like, mm-hmm. it's like, why do I keep farting in the middle of the night? Why do it's like, what, what does that have to do? Whatever it is like the, the, whatever these random questions are that you won't have time to do, you can mm-hmm. actually be put in an incredible amount of ease. And that, that was the experience that we had both times, both times with both Zoe and Ada, we had the exact same type of experience. Again, we were very lucky in that we had no complications, that evil word. We, you know, we, we had no complications. So we were able to go that route in both cases, but Jesus, like it was, it, and speaking here as the dad, it was great for me because for, for all of the same reasons, like I had, my own questions about pregnancy. I had my own questions about what I could do to care for my pregnant wife, both during, both prior, during, and after labor. And my questions were answered at those doctor's appointments. There, a lot of guys that I know that, that went the OB route, that, that was just not the case. There's no time. Like I've got to address, I've got to address the mom. There's no time. There's basically no time for us. So it's good for us as well. And mm-hmm. I mean, I, I keep one harping on harping on the fact that these are this is the United this is the United States medical establishment. They're not gonna let they're not gonna let witch doctor they're not gonna let witch doctors mm-hmm. with, you know, you know, c- coming in coming in with psychedelic tea, you know, in into mm-hmm. into, you know, a pit in the middle of the woods somewhere. These are licensed nurses. These are licensed nurses very often in a hospital setting with a doctor that's yeah. five seconds away. God mm-hmm. forbid something does go wrong, even at the last minute. Mm-hmm. So even if you think that having a doctor there is benefit, like if that, if lowering your anxiety level is having a doctor available, go with a midwife because the doctor's in the next room. God mm-hmm. forbid, God forbid if something goes wrong, but in the meantime, you actually get somebody in the room that's paying attention to you. Yeah, I mean that was that was my experience. I'm so, sorry to kind of go off on a rant there, but the the, the it's, no, but that's yeah. exactly that's exactly how I feel too. I think though the other point, like this, you talked about this, but indirectly, but in terms of just having your questions answered and understanding, like all of the bad things, all of the good things. What I see, I, I don't know that this is necessarily like a tenant of midwifery. But what I see in general, there's kind of a lack of truly informed consent in the medical field. This probably extends beyond OB as well. Um, but, you know, there's just this kind of patriarchism that the doctor knows what's best and you just do what the doctor says yeah. rather than... Um, actually understanding what's happening and why or or why that is the recommendation Um, and understanding that you have a choice Mm -hmm. that you can decide to do this or not do this Um, you know even as simple as um, genetic testing I I have patients who transfer to my care and didn't know that they had genetic testing done because they weren't told it was just done by the, as that doctor's standard of care. Um, so hmm. kind of, you know, going to, going into that education piece, like educating, um, educating women and their families about the process, about what's happening. If something comes up, if a lab result comes up abnormal, talking about what that means and talking about the options and, you know, realistically, women have a a right to refuse medical recommendations. Um, And this is not something that the hospital world wants you to know. They don't want you to refuse the doctor's recommendations. And I would say more often than not, women don't necessarily want to refuse the recommendations with informed consent. 
they're not gonna they're not gonna refuse it when they're told what to do in that setting and not given any thought any opportunity to have a voice mm-hmm. but what i've found for myself if i'm making a recommendation based on clinical findings something's abnormal i think a patient needs to be induced or um whatever it is and i take the time to explain well this is what i found this is what it means and this is what i would recommend and i answer their questions i don't i haven't had a patient tell me well i'm not going to do that even though you say my baby is at risk of dying i'm not going to do that um I think that patients are much more open to following your advice when they understand why you're giving that advice. Mm-hmm. And that's something that you're going to get with midwives is, is an explanation, you know, a simple explanation of like, this is why we're worried. Yeah. As opposed to, well, it's best for your baby. Yeah. Or, or at the very, or if you ask a follow-up question, you know, the, the, the snapback response is, well, your baby is at risk. So we really need to do mm-hmm. this. I'm like, yeah, that's not what I like. That's not right. the question that I ask. And all, all the while, if you're, you know, if that's a response that's given to a woman that has raging hormones through her body that are, that's extremely emotional, which is exactly, which is what, what the birthing process is like, that's terrify that terrifies mm-hmm. that terrifies mothers and frankly right, yeah it's, I mean, meant it, to, it's meant to terrify mothers like that that's like that that's a that's a trump card that's a mm-hmm. shut up like shut up i don't want to deal with this so let me tell them something that scares the scares them to death so that they just stop talking and just do what i say because it makes their mm-hmm. my life easier i mean i'm totally it ta- sounds like i'm totally shitting on doctors here please don't get me wrong there are good ones there are good ones out there but there are mm-hmm. so, there are many in the practice and they, they might and I even be doing it for a minute. They're not being evil about it. It's just, these are the standards of the industry. It's like the doctor, the doctors, the doctors, the technician, like they, they're they're They have, they have work to do with their tools and like with their tools and their wrenches. And doctor knows best. Yeah. And I think some of it, so some of it has stemmed from our cultural, um, dependence really. Yeah. You know, like we, and you can see it in other parts of medicine, we've basically stopped taking care of ourselves and we just, you know, believe we're going to go to the doctor and he can fix whatever it is. Yeah. Give me a pill so, and make things better. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so there's not that same level of investment in, in health there's not that same level of investment in your body in pregnancy. So the major, you know, if the majority of the population is responding to you, just telling them what to do, then why are you going to spend 10, 15 minutes explaining to them what you want them to do? When, if you just tell them what to do, they're going to do it because there's a, you know, a wider majority of people who don't necessarily want or need that explanation or that time. Mm -hmm. But I still think it's it's not actually practicing medicine ethically to not to not inform the patients of you know fully of what what that means what the recommendations are what they mean what the risks are um, you know what are the risks and benefits to fully understand what's happening that if not a better place to wrap up I can't think of one. Um. <laughs> No, I mean, the, the, if if nothing else, stop before I get on to get on another rant about the benefits of all this. No, yeah, um, Jamie, this is awesome. I re- um, thanks for coming on the show. One quick question that I have for you, um, I ask I ask everybody that comes on the show I this know. question. And I know what's that? And I don't. I know what it is, and I don't think I have an answer. So <laughs> what? <laughs> So like what per- what purchase have you come across in recent memory of $100 or less that's had the biggest impact on your life? Can you think of anything? So um I I would like to say my panda planner, but I have not gotten to use it enough to like let it impact my life. <laughs> like the potential. Beyond that, honestly, my cell phone case that is that doubles as a wallet has been life-changing 
you know what I've noticed I I noticed that the last time I saw you like the I I whenever I see those things I always wonder it's like oh my god I'm gonna lose my cell phone I'll lose everything but then every time I think that to myself I think well my cell phone kind of is everything so if I just lose my right. cell phone you know like the only the only thing that's the only thing that's in my wallet that's not in my cell phone is my driver's license. And, mm-hmm. you know, fast forward a couple of years, that probably won't be the case either. Right. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> so. It just, it's, it makes everything a lot more convenient to just have it there. And in reality, I think you're probably more likely to lose your wallet than you are to lose your cell phone. No doubt. <laughs> you're going to notice a lot quicker if you don't have your cell phone. No doubt. In, t- in today's world, sadly, I just, yeah. sh- I just shed a tear. Yeah. It's sad, but true. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the show. I'm really glad that you stuck with me through it. That is definitely a message, that conversation with Jamie, a message that I really want to get out there. Working with a midwife was a delightful, delightful experience for me and my wife, and I really highly recommend people make consider that as an option in the future. There's definitely a lot of little tweaks that they do in the process of midwifery that makes the whole process so much easier for all involved. Really quick before you go, please go over to smallmoves.co forward slash community and leave me a comment about what you thought about this conversation. And you can also click subscribe in whatever podcast app you're listening to the show on. Thanks a lot. You've got this.